Black Doctors Podcast, Season 6. Welcome back to Black Doctors Podcast. I am Stephen, your host. Excited about this episode featuring Dr. Max Gumini. He is an internal medicine resident physician, currently uh, starting PGY2 year at his program in Boston. This kind of follows up on the conversation we started back in June. We had a three-part conversation featuring different uh, attending physicians, and we kind of recounted our experiences transitioning from medical school to residency, from residency on to fellowship and into attending life. I thought it was essential to hear from a current uh, resident, a PGY1 who had just recently completed intern year. Uh, Max is transitioning on to his role as a PGY2 in the internal medicine residency program. He is a graduate of Howard University and he completed Yale Medical School prior to beginning residency. We talk about his past and what's brought him into the field of medicine. He has an extensive background in the field of engineering and just an incredible story, which really helps you understand who he is as a person and why he has such a different take and a different perception on the medical education system, on the healthcare that we provide for patients. His engineering background really factors into the way he sees the world, his world vision, and how he interacts with people. If you're interested in learning more, you can follow Max on Twitter. His Twitter handle is MaxJordan underscore N. And we'll include a link in the show notes, of course. After a word from our sponsor, we'll jump into this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed listening to last week's episode featuring Michael Johnson of Michael Johnson Legal. He provided great information on navigating your contract as a physician. That was a sponsored episode. And if you recall, we are donating a portion of that money to a 501c3 organization. Thank you for everyone that responded and sent us a direct message at the Light Outers podcast on Instagram and answered the story. Um, had a couple of really good responses, but I think in the, the wake of this uh, ridiculous ruling by the Supreme Court, we are going to go ahead and make a donation to Planned Parenthood so they can continue doing the work that they're doing to help give women and patients the options to take control of their own lives and make their own independent medical decisions as much as they are still able to in this country. So we will make a donation there. Thank you for those that recommended that. Stay tuned for future giveaways and, and other stuff that we're doing because we definitely want to use this show to give back. This podcast is sponsored by Pickmonic. In 2011, two medical students came up with the ingenious idea to combine medical education with unforgettable characters and ridiculously memorable stories. Featuring over 35,000 high-yield facts and graphics, Pickmonic has helped over 600,000 students improve exam scores and perform better clinically. Pickmonic has resources for pre-med and medical students, as well as other healthcare professions. Check out the show notes for a link to their website. Mention the podcast when you subscribe. With Pickmonic, you can study less, but remember more. Hello, welcome back to Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. So excited to be featuring this special guest, Dr. Max Jordan Gumini. He is an internal medicine physician, resident physician, currently training in Boston. Max, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks, Dr. Bradley, for having me. It's a pleasure. I've you know I've been following you on on the social media for a bit, so um, finally got the honor to be here on the Black Doc Box podcast. Yeah, please call me Stephen. Um, now, Max and I we were connecting because we cross paths somewhat. Um, son of Howard, 
Uh, Max attended Howard for undergrad. I went there for medical school. Um, you've had quite the impressive career thus far. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks. Yeah, so I went to Howard for undergrad. Uh, indeed, I graduated in 2013. I, I was a civil and environmental engineering major there. Um, and I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do when like my senior year reached. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, actually, like I liked what I was doing theoretically. And I had realized I actually didn't like the day to do work of a lot of civil engineering, right? Like I spent time working on wastewater treatment plants and like construction sites. So I went to graduate school and and part of it was that I knew I always liked biological sciences and serendipitously my senior year of college, ABET, which is like their accreditation body for engineering and technical colleges, ABET created a new requirement for biological sciences during when I was wrapping up college. So I took biology as a senior and organic chemistry, which counted towards my major. And I was like, you know what? I kind of missed this. Um, so, and I thought, okay, what's the best way for me to use my, you know, civil and environmental engineering background to have some kind of impact in the biological sciences? And so that's why I applied to programs that were mostly bioengineering, biomechanical engineering. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to get into Georgia Tech. And so that's where I went initially with the intent of doing a PhD, maybe MD PhD. It was kind of like, I don't know what I want to do. And a lot of a lot of doing a, a starting a PhD program is like sort of floundering for like six months trying to figure <laughs> out what you're going to do research-wise. So that's how I went to tech. And so I was really interested in thinking about the application of those fundamentals of civil engineering. Right? Civil engineering is the oldest engineering discipline. Wow. And much of what we do is like applications of, you know, uh, fluid mechanics, solid mechanics, and other sort of aspects of physics to problems or to of like the urban or rural or sort of municipal design, basically. But those same principles are very much applicable to the human body. And so in graduate school at, at tech, I took up, you know, classes like quantum mechanics and like, you know, biofluids. And I was in a lab that did a lot of material science stuff and also some cardiovascular uh, hemodynamics work. So... I initially was like, as, as I mentioned, floundering in terms of like, what am I going to do? And ultimately, my, so my, my graduate school advisor had the patent for this material called um, polyvinyl alcohol. It's a hydrogel, right? So I, I was making like implants. You can make implants of any kind of material strength out of PVA from huh. bone to fat. <laughs> so I, I was kind of playing around with PVA and like we were figuring like what what can we design with PVA? Someone in the lab was making vein valves with PVA, but ultimately I became more and more interested in the the sort of like human contact aspect of biomedical sciences. And I was and my advisor supported me going to medical school, so I truncated my path there and did a thesis, uh, like a master's thesis, instead of you know sticking around for a PhD. Um, and my work was basically around. Um, determining sort of like what the ideal material properties would be for implant, like maxillofacial implants out of PVA. Yeah. And, and uh, I took time between grad school and med school and I worked at Vandy for a year in Nashville and another lab where I yet again was working on more medical devices stuff doing like, I was like making, literally making catheters um, wow. for uh, metrovive leaflet ablation, um, like percutaneous metrovive leaflet ablation as a, kind of daytime job. And then I went to med school, I went to Yale. So from there on, uh, yeah, I went to Yale for medical school. I took an extra year, which is like 
really common of us. They're like 60% of the non-MDPhD students take an extra year to do research, during which I went to Penn, which was like a thrilling experience uh, that was dampened by COVID. <laughs> and then I came up here for residency. So that's kind of my long, my very long path to eventually being a medical resident. I'm trying to keep track because we got Howard in there, we got Georgia Tech, we got Vanderbilt, Penn, Yale, and Harvard. Man, you are uh, <laughs> doing it, brother. Uh, it wasn't intentional, man. I was literally a lot of floundering through life. Uh, <laughs> good, good floundering. So, so let me ask you this. As you progress through medical school, um, how did your experience in engineering and all that research kind of help guide you? Did it add anything to your medical education? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's funny. Um, I feel so I'm very much a problem solving oriented person, like anytime. And I think that's one thing you learn in engineering. It's not only the like the physics and the mechanics or whatever. It's I feel like there's a mindset that you you uh, that is inculcated around identifying problems and trying to solve them. So or like making processes more efficient, um, that kind of stuff, right? So I approached so much in med school with that lens. It was hard because I, I, I there was not a single class in college where I had to do a lot of memorization, yeah. like you know, specific to my major, right? I you needed to know like the three laws of Newton, basically, and like and apply them to any solid or fluid or whatever. Uh, so it was useful, like when I when it was like cardiovascular, like understanding how that works, because I was like, oh, duh, like you know, pressure flow resistance, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think another place where it got to be really handy is like when I was in the operating room, I, I really was excited about thinking like, oh, like, you know, oh, this process seems like, like ridiculously like bogged down. Like, how can I, like, what are, how can I, how could I improve this process? Um, so I was really drawn to surgical specialties because of that, because like literally every time I was in the OR, in addition to being excited about doing procedures, I was like, oh, how can I make this better? How can I make invent a device that would like help make this faster? Yeah. Um, so that's why I applied into OB initially. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's fascinating. So for those of you that listen to this show, you know, we're just coming off of uh, an incredible panel series. We talked about transitioning because in June and July, people are transitioning from being undergrad students to graduate students in medical school, from medical school to residency, um, from residency on to fellowship and attending life. Now, Max is finishing up his intern year uh, as of today, the day we're recording, and is going to be a PGY2 tomorrow. So, Max, how was intern year? Man, intern <laughs> year, um, I don't even know. I, my very brief description of intern year is like a year of being a data entry clerk with like a side of clinical reasoning and a little bit of medical decision making. <laughs> so I, you know, it was hard. It was harder than anything I've ever had to do, probably, I think. Um, but I made it through. Yeah, it, it, you know, I think no one really tells you the degree to which like how things are so much harder once you're an intern and it probably gets harder as a junior, like as a sub, I, you know, I carried like four or five patients and I had, I got to like think about them, you know? Right. Um, then you find yourself as an intern when hospitals are full in the middle of a pandemic and you're carrying twice, like nine, right? 10. And 
having to do the same thinking with the same brain. And it, I mean, it's amazing how much I feel like my brain was stretched, right, throughout the year. Uh, and I look back to the first, like, yeah, the first, like, few days of intern year where I, I was just, like, so incredibly overwhelmed. And at the tail end of intern year where I could, like, you know, pick up a list of, like, really sick cancer patients and feel like, okay, I got this type thing. Um, so it was a lot of growth through, you know, some difficulty. Um, and you moved, you had to move for medical school, correct? You went from wherever Yale, Yale is in New Haven to yeah, Boston? Yeah, New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah, exactly. Moved from New Haven to Boston. Uh, yep, drove a U-Haul up here. All that. Uh, so, yeah, in addition, you, you know, like, this is another thing about residency. We're kind of, like, forced to move around the country because of just, this, you know, the way the match works. I mean, I also chose, right? I could have stayed at Yale, but I, I need, I, like, wanted to be in a city where there's an airport that's like within a short driving range of where I'm going to live just <laughs> so I could get up and go any given Friday that I have the weekend off. So, and I chose Boston. So you have to adjust a lot, right? To like a new city, adjusting to a new job, trying to make new friends. And it's like not easy to make friends in adulthood, uh, especially when you work like 60, 70, 80 hours a week. So I think the... The, the main kind of silver lining of intern year is having made really good friendships with the with some people, you know, people that I work with or people in my program. In fact, the closest friends that I've made this year, I've never actually, I've like didn't work with them directly, like at work, you know, really? we just like happened to be in the same program, um, like, you know, random randomly were like, oh, you like outdoors or you like taking pictures, you like landscape photography, oh, let's go hiking. And it's kind of, kind of grow into being very good friends that way. Yeah, and I mean, it certainly helps when you have similar interests with other people in the program. But what's been really hard for me is like actually trying to make friends outside of the program. Um, but it's like you get one day off per week most of the time. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how many people know that uh, outside of medicine. <laughs> Uh, where like as an intern, one out of four weekends, you actually get two days off. And then most of the other weekends, you get one day when I'm so damn tired. I'm not really trying to like, you know, go to some like urban league meeting to make new black friends. Uh, and I keep telling people like I have like no new or very few new black friends in Boston in part because of that. Yeah. And and that one, that one day off a week really adds, I'm thinking back to my intern year, when you go through month, after month after month of having one day off a week, man, that, I mean, you gotta be breathing some, uh, sighs of relief that for the most part it's over, but there's still uh PGY two and three to go. Yeah, no, I mean, it'd be nicer this year. I, so I basically would do like one month of inpatient, one month of outpatient, one month of inpatient, one month of outpatient, but then there will be time during when I'm outpatient that I have to cover the inpatient side on the weekend. <laughs> so like the, what, whatever I gain in terms of like outpatient time, a lot of it basically gets taken the other way, but through coverage on the inpatient. So there's a small, small gain in terms of number of weekends, but it's, it's not, it's not <laughs> it's like negligible. majestic, you know? Yeah. So, so Max, when you were heading into intern year, what are some of the things that, happened and felt exactly how you expected that they would? I, like, I feel like internet is such a blur. I don't even know that, like, expectation. Um, I don't know. I can't even remember what I really expected. Like, <laughs> um, I just was like, oh, you know what? I know. 
Um, residency is a very exploitative experience, right? And like everything, and, and like I went into residency very clear-eyed about it. And most people, I think, come into residency very excited, right? This is like the first time many of us like, get to work and like we finally get to be doctors and placing orders and all that kind of stuff. There's like some amount of glamour and power that comes with it. Yeah. But like I am very clear-eyed about the degree to which this is very much like exploitative and I was never excited about much. Like, I mean, I I, I love being a doctor, right? There, there, and, and every day that I am a doctor, I get to do something meaningful for people. And that piece excites me, but like nothing else. And yeah, that's basically what engineer, like, you know, it, you just kind of see it, you know, um, you like you, you're kind of at the mercy of, of your health system yeah. for all intents and purposes. And it's not very specific to, you know, this is not a knock or a dig on my program because actually I think I am, at the most generous internal medicine program in terms of kind of flexibility and the way the schedule is. Uh, and I'm very grateful about that. But I think in the con- in the broader context, especially knowing what other people deal with in their jobs, like, you know, the fact that you have to take your vacation in two week chunks, like period, right? You can't just like, you can't just get up and be like, oh, I want to be on vacation in two weeks and and go, right? That, that, that lack, there's such an immense loss of agency over what you get to do with your life and your time during residency and, and you know, notwithstanding the number of hours that you work, which is a lot, that loss of agency, I don't think ever gets accounted for when we talk about resident compensation, right? I'm like, mm. oh, I watch, like we get to watch our 20s and 30s just kind of passes by. We can, You can't just get up and be like, oh, I want to go to somebody's wedding. You got to find somebody to cover you. Yeah. There's just, yeah, yeah, there's, <laughs> there, um, so those expectations, and I knew, right? I was like, I'm just going to have to suck this up because this is what is required of me in order to be board certified in whatever I want to do, right? Yeah, that that is very true. And I think, fortunately, there's been more focus on wellness, um, whatever that means for whatever programs that are out there. But it's it's getting better, maybe. What do you think? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I don't know. The, I think the new... Yes, there, it is getting better relatively, right? We don't, I mean, and again, I'm at a program where we barely do 24-hour calls, right? Like that's like barely a thing here. Like I think we have like one rotation and you do it once in junior year, one time junior year where you do Q3, 28 to 30-hour calls. And and like in, the, in our, that's the CCU. And then in mm-hmm. our MICU, you, you could be slotted into one where you do like Q4, 28-hour calls. But uh, I mean, other places have it way worse, Um so yeah, the the the, the thirty hour call thing, they are fewer and fewer as time has gone, because of you know work hour limit stuff, the rules of the ACGME, and I have never validated hours as a resident, but I know it's a thing that's way more common in other programs across the country. Right, people just kind of lie. It's it's very. I mean, there's been this has been empirically studied. Residents, you just lie. I mean, there's literally a guidebook that this. Um, I think online meded um, is a learning platform for med students and there's a guide for interns. And one of the chapters is kind of just like the nuts and bolts of being an intern in the system. And it literally, one of the advice is like, do not say you validated hours, just write down AD and because you'll get your program in trouble. And that mean you will be in trouble kind of like you're at risk of like putting your program in jeopardy, which puts your degree or whatever you're training at risk. Um, 
So just lie. It's like a common fact, you know? Um, yeah, it's way worse for the surgery residents, you know? Um, yeah. It, the, the good thing is, I'll say from, from my perspective on the bright side, going through and the way you described it was so crucial that um, the exploitative um, system that you're in, keep that passion as you progress to the other side. So as an attending, I'm able to look down and like be like, okay, this isn't right. And there's mm-hmm. still not a big sweeping change that I would want to make, but there's small things that I can do for the residents that I work with to try to make things a little more equitable. But that that's mm-hmm. something to look forward to eventually. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, even as a resident, as a two, I've already started thinking about like, what can I do to make my interns experience better, you know, or what are some things that other residents did that I appreciated that I'm mm-hmm. going to make sure that I do for my intern? And what are some things that other residents didn't do that I think I should do for my intern. Yeah. What What would you? What advice would you give for folks uh, just getting started in intern year? <sighs> um, I don't know. Get up early. I'm not a morning person <laughs> for many reasons, but it's true that for every extra like minute you spend preparing in the morning, uh, you get greater dividends. On you know later on during the day you know you show up on when when I occasionally or rarely show up a little early and nobody around to ask me questions or to page me or whatever just and and it means I get you get to focus on like you know on the plan that you're putting together all that kind of stuff before you've signed into the list and then you start getting pages uh, I didn't do that most of the time to be honest I am again not a morning person. <laughs> Um, I put in that time on the on the evening side where like at the end of the day, after I've signed out, I would like try to sit and think, okay, what am I going to do for this person tomorrow? But for people who are able to get up early and, and, and like, you know, at the crack of down and, and, and put in that time on the earlier side, it, it does pay greater dividends than, than staying later, I think. Um, and like, I don't know. Question everything. This is one thing I'm known for in my program. Even my, like my residents have been like, one thing I love about you, you question the status quo. It's like, why do we have to do X, Y, Z the way we do them, right? Like, why is, I don't know, why is getting this renal biopsy necessarily an outpatient issue when the patient's here and it's going to be here for a while and they could get this biopsy in the, in, like while they're here in the hospital and they have access issues, right? Like, and, you know, and by access, I mean like access to healthcare. So, I just question dogma, like ask why. The rules don't always make sense. I, I literally, if rules don't make sense, I, I have to ask, well, why can't we break them or why can't we change them? And I think I do that as a tool or like kind of like as part of my way of advocating for my patients, right? If I want to get something done for a patient, I don't let just like random rules stop me, right? Uh, I mean, there gets to be a point where obviously I won't validate a law. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to, go to jail or lose my job. But right. like I there are system level things that can be changed and many of them can come from a brand new intern. Um and I think more of us should embrace that kind of like, I don't know, stubbornness. I don't know what the term is, but just like just question shit, man. Um things are the way they are, but they don't have to be. And and it's the same thing when it comes to advocating for ourselves as residents, right? Yeah. Like they don't have to. I mean, and yeah, that, that that's what I would give the advice to interns. Like question everything, put the patients first, try to get there early if you can. Yeah. That's good. I'm, I'm right there with you. I am not a morning person. I hate mornings, but... It's tragic. I chose the wrong job. 
Uh, I wish I could say it gets better. Um, maybe, maybe a nocturnist position in your future. I don't, I don't know. Maybe we'll see. I don't know. Um, when it comes to being a teacher, because it's something that you aren't really taught, you go from being a medical student to uh, PGY one, and now you have medical students that are rotating. Um, how did mm-hmm. you handle that transition? Hey, it's Steven, host of the Black Doctors Podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a minute to talk about TrueLearn. They are a sponsor of the Black Doctors Podcast, and we're thankful for them investing in our mission. TrueLearn is a company that specializes in test preparation. They provide a data-driven approach to help students prepare for their examinations. They provide resources for those in the medical licensure exam process, with the Comlex, the USMLE, and even for physician assistants. And they also provide resources for subspecialty exam prep. Specifically for those in medical school, they offer individual NBME subject exams, smart banks, and they cover the rotations that include neurology, emergency medicine, psychiatry, pediatrics, surgery, OBGYN, family medicine, and internal medicine. Eight different subspecialties. As a special bonus for those of you that listen to the show, TrueLearn is offering a discount. To receive that discount, visit their website. When you sign up for one of their products, use the code BDPODCAST, so Black Doctors Podcast. There's also going to be a link in the show notes. Check that out. Everybody loves saving money. And now let's get back to today's episode. Medical student to uh, PGY1, and now you have medical students that are rotating. Um, How did Mm -hmm. you handle that transition? That's a good question. I mean, like, I, I hated being a med student. Um, because of that, the, this kind of, you know, the hierarchy stuff. Oddly enough, I only had students like maybe twice throughout this year because hmm. we spent a lot of times on subspecialty services that don't necessarily always have med students. And like Harvard Medical School, unlike Yale, so like I think their classes are maybe slightly larger, but then Harvard has like a bunch of hospitals, right? There's Brigham, there's MGH, there's BI. So they're spread across the system. So it's not like they're always met students on here. Whereas like at Yale, there's some, like the OB residents, basically there was always a med student. Always, 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 right? Like, yeah. So here they're kind of, it's kind of spread all over. But I just, I try to give students autonomy. I try to remind them like, bro, you are an adult learner. I'm not, I'm not going to spoon feed you nothing. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to snitch or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like you are paying 60 or however many thousand dollars to be here and you are responsible for your learning. Uh, And I would hope that you're taking those things seriously because, um, you know, there's a huge responsibility that comes with being a doctor and we're like, as supervisors for med students, whatever, we're like supposed to quote unquote protect the public, right? I've never had a med student do nothing crazy. So I've never had to like protect the public in that sense. But I, I give autonomy. I, uh, I, I try to give feedback, could have, you know, sort of constructive feedback afterwards. Like after I've like gone to do an admission with a student or a sub I, I one time had to supervise a sub I um, as like a like a trial thing because uh, technically PGY two supervised sub I's, but I wanted to give it a try as an intern. Um, so just try to I try to be very gentle with feedback because you know no one likes to be told mean things or no one likes to be told they suck. Um, so even when even like I remember I had a, a a student who, you know, in med school, we like learn these kind of scripts on how we respond to how patients say X, Y, and Z, right. or you just kind of say, okay, to everything. Um, I had this student who like was sounding, kind of sounded like he had just been in the classroom and pr- practicing those scripts a lot, but they weren't necessarily like emotionally kind of fitting with the, 
with what this patient was 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 telling, right? This patient's like telling a really painful story, and this student was just kind of like, okay, and okay, and like you know what I mean. Yeah. And later on, I was like, hey, buddy, let me just give you a little bit of feedback here. Uh, I know when you go in there, and 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 uh, your goal is to get the history. You're just like trying to get the history and, and GTFO, but like you got to pause, acknowledge that, just sort of have that emotional awareness of like what is going on here, right. acknowledge those things. Because um, that, that's part of what makes you the doctor, right? That not, you're, not just a, you're not just here to document or, or gather information. You're also here because you're, you're a human person that's here to heal. And, and, and I try to be very gentle about it. And then I teach things that I'm interested in that I like, and it probably should, as a PGY2, I will have more of that responsibility compared to being an intern. But there, uh, I basically try to grasp, grab, grab onto topics that are otherwise not often taught. So, like data, data appraisal. Like I remember teaching um, the sub eyes uh, on our team about like, okay, you have a new paper. Let's let, let's think about like whether you think you can draw some causal inference based on the study, right? Like another thing I really like to teach is opioid use disorder treatment, which is like not very well taught in medicine or medical school in general. Um, but I need to also just teach regular like community acquired pneumonia. <laughs> um, yeah. That's good. I love, I think you can see glimpses of your engineering background. You see glimpses of your passion for dismantling this exploitative system kind of in your philosophy for how you're already working with medical students. So I'm looking forward to seeing that continue to grow and develop over time. So Dr. Gamini, what is your philosophy, your take on Twitter? Hmm. I don't really have one. <laughs> I just I just be out here tuning my thoughts. Uh, I don't know. I Twitter is a is a nutty lawless place. Um, <laughs> to the extent that the you know that the 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 monitors let you tweet things. I, yeah, I just, for me, I tweet my thoughts. I interact with people. I try to be respectful. I try to not be mean. I try to not, you know, use ad hominems uh, or try to, I try to not kind of, you know, I don't know, critique individuals and, and focus on sort of like meta commentary. But there there are different approaches to doing Twitter. Uh, I brought Twitter up because that is where uh, Max and I first met. I first started following him because he would tweet about stuff so passionately and strongly state his opinions. And I'm like, man, how did, like, who is this guy that just has this liberty to to say what he's feeling and is so passionate? So please do follow him, Max Jordan underscore N on Twitter. Um, how do you deal with people that disagree, passionately disagree with some of the things that you tweet and they have a ton of stuff to start saying? Yeah, um, I mean... Really politely, I I I have this thing. I try to limit how often I'm gonna go back and forth with people because it's just not it's you know it's not it's not necessarily a like a good use of your time. And there's a question as to like, is my opinion really gonna change about X Y Z here? Uh, some it might right. Like if I'm presented with new data, I might be like, oh okay cool. But first of all, I rarely tweet just like baseless opinions. Right. I, again, I'm very much like a, I, I live by evidence and you know what I mean? So if I tweet something um, that's not related to like pop culture, because I like pop culture, right? I, I, I came to Twitter through black Twitter. So like I, hmm. you know, I tweet funny, you know, funny stuff, whatever, or my, my tweet commentary about the BT awards. But if I'm tweeting something related to medicine, 
there is a chance that there's a paper about the thing in question that I can dig up and like just be like, here's the evidence about this. And then there are obviously there are things that are more contested than others. And in those instances, when, you know, when I disagree, I, I try to, again, respectfully disagree. I will engage back and forth a little bit if like the person in question is like someone I know or like a colleague or whatever. I'll use a good example. There's a there's a professor at University of Michigan that I really look up to, Rod mm-hmm. Hayward. We disagree on like a, maybe 10% of things in terms of like, you know, health policy, politics, whatever. And like, you know, I don't know, the policing. Like he's like, I think policing is a necessary evil. I'm like, I think policing is useless. Like look at the NYPD. And I will kind of go back and forth. And it's all fun and and, you know, you can only dis- disagree but so much because it's 280 characters and you don't want to spend all day there. I try to give reading recommendations that will help back up. Like if people are actually serious about engagement, I'd be like, oh, you should check out this paper or you should check out this book that like has helped me get to this understanding of this issue. I have a rule of trying not to engage with anonymous accounts. Okay. Uh, because it's like you have nothing to lose. You're anonymous, right? You... You can just tweet all kinds of nonsense to me. You can screenshot my responses. May they be emotional, blah, blah, blah. And I'm here with my name and my my job is here, blah, blah. You can get me in all kinds of trouble, right? So anonymous accounts, I really try not to respond to them. Uh, But sometimes I do, right? Who who is like, who follows the rule, their own rules? (laughs) And then, I mean, I like to engage in some good old fun. You know, sometimes this thing I started doing more recently is like, when someone says something egregiously racist or whatever, I just like respond with a gif, like they finna drag you. I won't be doing the dragging, but I, I, you know, just put a gif under that, like you are going to get dragged for this. Yeah. Uh, and like I use filters. So Twitter has this thing that allows you to basically filter certain comments under your, your tweets. Really? Uh, so it's like, a, I use a, the high security, whatever the, the term is. And so I don't see a lot of responses to my tweets because, you know, I don't know. I have 14,000 14, plus followers at this point. Uh, I can't respond to everyone. Plenty of strangers have things to say that I don't necessarily like have to hear. So the filters are useful um, such that I, if I don't follow you um, or we don't follow enough people in common uh, or you're anonymous or something like that, or you're tweeting, you're like responding, you're like, saying crazy shit on my post, I probably won't see it. Interesting. Yeah, I know you can do that. Oh, and I mute posts. Oh my God. <laughs> Muting, like, because otherwise you will spend all day on there. Um, I'll put something, if if something that I'm going to tweet is like maybe controversial or whatever, I don't know, I would want to limit who can respond to it. And if, if I start getting too many notifications about it, I'll just mute it. And like people, like you could respond all day. I will never see it. I just won't see the notifications. Good. That's all. I'm still trying to figure out how to use Twitter. So I'm going to have to take some yeah. of those tools and, and implement them. Yeah. I just really, uh, someone asked me the other day if I plan the things I'm going to tweet because like, I don't know, because sometimes things tend to have some kind of impact in terms of how people interact with it or respond to it. It's just my, I, I just be angry a lot, man. And I tweet those angry thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, in addition to Twitter, um, mm-hmm. Max is very passionate about healthcare disparities, so much so that you launched your own podcast, the Flip the Script podcast. It's your go-to podcast about health disparities. Started back in 2020? 2018, actually. 2018. You know, it, there were no other health equity podcasts. All the new health equity podcasts that are out there 
uh, are my sons, as Nicki Minaj would put it. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, yeah, uh, yeah. tell us about your show. Yeah, so basically, uh, you know, I, I started this as a hobby in med school because I, and podcasts kind of got me through, I don't know, got me through med school. <laughs> like uh, NPR Code Switch, Radio Ambulante were some of like my inspirations. Uh, Terry Gross's Fresh Air on NPR. And I basically, my med school advisor, you know, was a, is a black woman, Marcela Nunez-Smith, and she gave me this advice. If you're going to do this whole thing of like trying to educate your med school classmates about inequality, make it some kind of scholarship, make it productive. Otherwise, you're going to burn out, right? Mm. So instead of like continuously, you know, having long back and forths with like my classmates, either in class or at socials, whatever, about insert given topic, I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to create a repository of evidence <laughs> around this stuff that is like accessible, right? Because like papers, I can send you paper and book recommendations. Uh, how, how many people are going to read them? Uh, podcasts, I found them to be fairly accessible. You can listen to them while you're like doing the dishes, whatever, really passive learning that I found to be accessible. So I, that's how I kind of got started. And, and, and the other thing is I do a lot of writing, right? I write about inequality, but I try to occupy a lane where I don't overstep my my sort of intellectual boundaries, if that makes any sense, right? I I can't get, I won't get up and start writing about I don't know access to cancer drugs. I could, right, if I do enough of a literature review, blah blah blah. But there's no point in doing that when there are other people who already work in that space. And so that's the other reason why I figured a podcast would be good because I can just invite, you know, yeah. insert person onto my podcast and then have discussion and then in the process. I learn, I get to learn from their work and I get to share with other people. And then the next time that someone, you know, like literally last weekend, I was having a conversation with a co-resident about pulse oximeters, um, not being, a, uh, you know, being more likely to, um, uh, to fail at detecting hypoxemia in people with darker skin. And they were having a hard time believing it. I was like, you know, I interviewed Amy Morin Thomas. She's an anthropologist at MIT who literally studies medical devices. I will send you the link. And then not shut the art. Like, I don't have to, I, you know what I mean? I don't have to go back and forth, right? Because right? I've literally had Amy Morin Thomas on my podcast. So that's kind of that. That's kind of the, um, the idea there. And so I've interviewed, you know, some greats, Dorothy Roberts, um, Amy Morin Thomas, who I just mentioned, Helena Hansen, Marcel Nunez-Smith, who ran the President Biden's um, uh, task force for health equity during COVID was my med school advisor. So I, she's one of the early guests that I had. Uh, and I'm going to have her again at some point when I start back. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what Flip the Script is about. Yeah. What's, uh, one of the most interesting things that you've learned through podcasting? You know, I think I got to learn some interviewing skills that I think are translatable to being a doctor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, like when is it a when is it appropriate to ask open ended versus close you know like sort of closed questions? Uh, what excites some people? You know what I mean. Uh, but I also learned. I mean, it's it, it's such a it can be random, but but people have gained from being guests on my podcast, which is kind of cool. Like I never thought I had that kind of power. You know what I mean? But like I had a guest who a little bit after being on my podcast, someone listened to the episode and then they invited her to give like a, a named lecture at this medical school. Oh, and then wow. she texted me, I was like, oh my God, like someone, like I'm giving this lecture at Insert University and um, that's because they, like someone listened to, to your podcast and really liked what we're discussing. So, you know, it's like, 
it literally, and it's just me, right? I don't have somebody helping me edit. I, it's me and me, me myself and I, uh, to use Beyonce's words, but like the degree to which one can, you know, reach broadly, I, I, I think it's really cool. That is fantastic. Um, I think your life kind of speaks to the power that one person can wield if they're dedicated to accomplishing a task. And throughout um, your background um, in engineering, health equity, the change that you're making while in residency. It's just fascinating and um, can't, can't wait to see more. Dr. Gumini, as you progress to PGY2, um, please don't be a stranger to the show. We'd love to have you. We can't guarantee you'll get a name le- lecture ship from, from being on the show, but I'd uh, love to have you at any time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Most definitely. Thank you. If you want, uh, you know, I, it, it, the, the other thing I was going to say is some people have asked me, oh, do you ever talk about your research on the podcast? And I was like, no, actually, I for some reason I don't. But definitely happy to come back and actually talk about my, like, the, you know, my research findings and whatnot, the sort of work that I do on the day to day. We'd love to do that. Yeah. Um, like I said, you're welcome anytime. Um, we'll probably check in later in the in the school year or in the academic oh, the year academic if year. you're uh, oh, if you're interested yes. in coming back and sharing your, your thoughts uh as a PGY too. Sounds good. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much because representation does matter. Indeed. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the show. It's time for sign out. I think it's only appropriate that I provide some of my tips and my thoughts on navigating intern year as a person who's finished intern year, I guess, uh, seven or eight years ago. Now I do have more perspective. I have some things that I guess I would have probably done better if I had to do it all over again. I'd rather just not do it all over again. When it comes to navigating intern year, there's probably five things that I would recommend. Number one, start a budget. I really don't like budgets, but knowing that you now have a salary, you now have to pay rent and other necessities. It's kind of easy to budget because you know how much money you have coming in. You kind of know how much you have going out. But go ahead and draw it out on paper, whether you're using an app like Mint, whether you're using the joy budgeting method, as Dr. Brittany Halford talks about on her More Joy, More Wealth YouTube channel and on Instagram. Follow her if you don't already. She's got some great tips on how you can budget and still enjoy life and have joy. Um, I don't really budget like that. I just kind of know where our money's going. But that's what I would recommend. You know, take out the big uh, pieces for rent, for vacation time, for your car note if you have one. Budget, you know, how much do you have a week to go out and eat with your friends or go out to have drinks? Make sure you're planning that time and making your money go um, kind of as far as you, as you can. The second thing I would recommend is to go ahead and plan your vacation time. Chances are, depending on your program, you may have already done this, but hopefully you've spread your vacation time out throughout the year. Some programs have you take it all in like two-week blocks, which is like two, two-week blocks and it's over. Um, but try to spread that out because what you don't want to do is take it too early. And then you have like from January on to June to just kind of drag your way through residency with no end in sight. And when it comes to, the, to to your vacation time, you know, make sure you try and plan something that's fun, that's going to help you relax and recharge um, as before you head back to internship. 
sorry if you hear the fireworks in the background this is the fourth of july weekend so people are shooting fireworks hopefully not blowing their hands off and end up in the uh, emergency department the third thing i'd recommend doing is to take step three the board exam as early as possible um just go ahead and knock that out i think i use like mastering the boards course read through the book a couple times i'm sure there's a lot more resources out there you can use true learn as they are a sponsor of the show that's great um and whatever you, resource you you choose to use i would just go ahead and knock it out as quickly as you can god forbid you fail uh, then you have plenty of time to, to take it again. Once you pass, it's behind you. You can proceed with applying for a full state licensure if that's what you want to do. And you meet the requirements that can help you in the uh, near-term future if you want to moonlight. But it's just nice to have uh, to not worry about standardized exams. The fourth thing that I would recommend, this is kind of more on a practical note, specifically for the new interns, realize that there are systemic limitations in place and a lot of it depends on the hospital system that you are practicing in. So wherever you went to medical school and wherever you went to residency, if you change locations, there's gonna be a lot of things that are different from the basic geography to the parking setup to the anti-biotogram, anti-biogram, whatever it is that, um, you know, when you say broad spectrum antibiotics at one hospital is actually different when you go to a different hospital. Depending on your specialty, as an intern, you may rotate through multiple different hospitals. Uh, God bless you. It is tough. That is like one of the harder parts of internship is just uh, becoming acclimated to a new environment. But understand that each system is different, um, some different priorities there, and try to be flexible. Try to roll with the punches. Uh, it won't be long, probably give it two or three months, we'll, we'll start seeing folks post on Twitter or social media complaining about some problem they had with a different service or with the nurses or the emergency department is so this or the surgeons are so that. I would challenge you, you know, you don't need to put all of that on Twitter. You can just write it down, maybe at the end of intern year, if it still feels like a really big deal, then you can post it. What a lot of these posts show is that you've only been in medicine practicing for a short period of time there was recently a post on twitter about i mean i think i don't think it was any ill intent with the post but it was about how this emergency medicine i think they were a second year resident talked about how great the care would be if they had all their care delivered in the emergency department if they were acutely ill they would want to board in the ed and be managed by their partners and like that sounds cool um and I don't think there's any ill intent, but, you know, it also shows that you don't really understand how the system works. And it's great that your partners provide great care, but there's so many more things that go into this, that go into medicine. And um, you'll, you'll learn over time as you go to each hospital. I gave an example because I actually commented on that tweet. One of the hospitals that I moonlighted at as an anesthesiologist, the emergency medicine physicians would not intubate patients. Whatever needed to be done in the emergency department, any intubation, elective, urgent, they would call anesthesia. Um, very annoying to have to go down to the ER to intubate because I know ER physicians should be able to intubate. And in most places they do. But that's just something that was the way it was at the hospital. And based upon the contract with the anesthesia group that I was moonlighting with, if they called, um, you know, I would go intubate. 
So just roll with the punches. Realize everything is different um, at every place. Uh, but I digress. That could get its whole episode, to be honest. The fifth thing that I would say isn't necessarily for the interns. It's actually for the residents and for the attending physicians. It's for the nurses. It's for the nurse practitioners, physician assistants, etc. Just remember that we were all new at one point in time. Give everybody some extra grace in July. Whether they're a new intern, whether they're a new attending, whether they're a new resident, you know, just in medicine in general, we can all use a little bit more grace, a little bit more understanding, just take a deep breath. Um, one of my surgery attendings in the ICU, Dr. Ahn, brilliant, brilliant attending. He would always say, um, you know, we'd get some crazy, ridiculous consult. And Dr. Ahn would say, let's stop for a minute and assume that everyone's reasonable. And it was such a useful exercise to think, okay, is there a reasonable, is is there a reason why they've ordered this medication or, or whatever? And you try and approach it from their perspective as a reasonable physician or a clinician or human being. And it kind of help set the tone and help improve those relationships. And maybe, I don't know, that keep you from getting so frustrated and angsty uh, so soon in your medical career. Um, so for physicians, as you're working with, or as, I'm sorry, as attendings, as you're working with these interns, give them some grace, assume they're reasonable, they just don't know the system, maybe they had a bad day, they're moving to a new city or a state to practice, everybody has their own life stuff going on, whether it's relatives being sick, whether it's their pets at home, you know, people have stuff going on, so just uh, relax and uh, give folks a benefit of the doubt. Those are just a couple of my thoughts and how we can better navigate this next month. Congratulations to all the new interns. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Black Doctors Podcast. Uh, thank you for joining this community, this conversation. Please share with anyone you think can benefit from this. If you like what you hear, leave a review, all that good stuff. Thank you for being you, for doing what you do, because representation matters. Tune in next week. The Black Doctors Podcast is a volunteer passion project that is building a community and inspiring current and future Black physicians and healthcare workers. If you enjoy listening, please tell a friend about the show and share a link on social media. We are a small team and can use your help. You can find us online at theblackdoctorspodcast.com or visit us on Instagram. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast, because representation matters. Original music and audio editing by Dr. Stephen Bradley.